So every life needs a turning point. Every life somewhere needs a turning point. Some of you have had that turning point. Some of you may not have had that turning point. And a lot of people outside these walls have not had their turning point. We come tonight to the turning point of the Bible. Now, there will be more down the road. But Genesis 12 is where the story of salvation really takes a turn. In a way, the first 11 chapters and first three months of our study through Genesis has been all introductory to this chapter. It's the calling of Abraham and the land that God will give him and the mission that God gives Abraham, known as Abram at this point, but we know him as Abraham, the mission he gives him and his descendants. And we see this mission attempted throughout the rest of the Bible and perfected through Jesus and imitated by his church. So this is very relevant for us tonight because we are carrying the torch that God gave to Abraham here. And so I want tonight for us to look at this as not only the turning point of the Bible, maybe our turning point, because I want to ask, how can we go help other people find that shift into joining Abraham's family by faith in Jesus? How can they receive the blessing that God gave to Abraham and said to share to all the families of the earth? So, we begin our 11 introductory chapters with curse. Of course, it began with the creation, but the creation fell. And it happens rather quick, because the Bible's really trying to get to the story of salvation. And so we see the creation fall, and, and we see this word curse pop up. Now, you know the word curse experientially. We don't need to have a theological dissection of what curse means. Because you feel it in isolation. You feel it in depression. You see it in the darkness. And you felt it at the other end of someone's words, uh, someone's behavior. We have all experienced it, whether externally, relationally, or internally. With things that we deal with and struggle with. Things that master us. People we can't get along with. There is curse all around And I want to show you five verses before we look at what happens to Abraham. So, thumb with me to Genesis 3. We're going to look at five verses. So, to your left, Genesis 3, verse 14. So, Adam and Eve just eat from the tree they're not supposed to. They blame the serpent after Adam blames Eve. And so the Lord begins to spew out what are called the curses, the curse, the fall. Now, these are not God punishing humans for not choosing my way. God doesn't do that. He doesn't punish us when we don't choose his way. He simply lets us go that way, and that way is in and of itself a curse. So these are natural byproducts of humans saying, we'll take the reins from here, God, thank you. So he's now going to let them know what's going to happen. So 3.14, the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed. If you like to underline, it, trust me, it's worth it. Underline that word. If you like, or circle, your fireworks, highlight your thing. Uh, because of you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. Jump down to verse 17. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed. There you go. That's another word to underline. Cursed is the ground because of you. Chapter 4, verse 11, right after Cain murders Abel. 
4.11. And now you are, underline, cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Now, jump forward to chapter 5, verse 29. We'll start in 28. 5.28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, and verse 29, called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, underline that, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. And then jump further up to chapter 9. This is our fifth verse. 9, verse 24. You'll remember Noah got drunk, passed out, uh, ended up naked, woke up and found out that his son Ham made fun of his nakedness. So he wakes up and does what every good father does. Curses him. 9.24. Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him and said, Cursed, and underline that word, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. And Canaan is Ham's grandson. So he not only curses his son, he curses him down to several generations. Good dad. <laughs> and now we come to Genesis 12, and we meet Abram, who will later be extended to Abraham. So Genesis 12, we've seen now five verses I read to you. It's every mention of the word curse since the fall up to Abraham. Five mentions of curse. We get the point. The world's not doing too hot at this point. Even after the flood and trying to start over, we saw last week the Tower of Babel. Humans are just right back at the rebellion against God. So the curses are just flowing. The curse rules the world. This is in contrast to God who when he made everything he saw and said it was very good. Now we're reading, no, curse, 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 curse. And now we pick up Genesis 12 verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And now to, to end our highlighting Highlight every time you see the word bless, blessed, or blessing. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed." Now, if you are following with me, you should have five blessings in those verses. This is showing us in a literary sense, without simply saying, <clears throat> chapter 12 begins, everyone, this is the turning point of the Bible. It just shows us very subtly that while we've seen curse five times with the calling of Abraham, we now see each of those curses is replaced with a blessing. This is the turning point. Every life needs a turning point. Every human lives in a curse until God says, no, I'm going to transform that into a blessing. And this is what he's going to do through Abraham. So in short, what is God's answer to the mess we saw in the previous chapters? His answer is through a people who will be fathered by Abraham who will bring his blessing that humans rejected, bring his blessing back to the world through his offspring. 
And this is not just a message about Jews and Abraham's children in a, in a, a racial or a ethnic kind of message where, yep, this is cool for the Jews. The Jews are the blessing to the world. Now, the Jews have been a blessing to the world. But this extends according to the New Testament to you and me because Paul goes through elaborate efforts to say that you by faith in Jesus have become a son or daughter of Abraham. And you might, you've already known this from Sunday school because you sung this song and I don't want to sing it because it gets stuck in your head all night because it's so annoying. Um, but you know, <laughs> Father Abraham. <laughs> Many sons. And then it says that I am one of them and so are you. We kind of just take that for granted. But then we sometimes we hear a lot of teachings in the Bible that suddenly goes, yeah, but this is a Jewish thing. This is just a Jewish thing. Like, well, wait a minute. Paul said, if you're in Christ, you are now by faith a son of Abraham. So we are part of what God is doing in and through Abraham. And so the blessings here are the church is, and he's asking the church along with Israel, along with the ethnic racial descendants of Abraham along with them we're going to bless the world now a lot of Jews aren't really on board with that at the moment some are a lot of them are not but Paul does say there's going to be a day when all of them will be on board with it at some point so this is for all of us and what God wants to do is he wants to bless Christians so that Christians will bless the world he wants to give us, invite us into the turning point of world history so that we can bring others into their turning points of their lives so that they can go from curse to blessing, from darkness to light, from death to life. That's what he wants to do. So, I don't mean when I say he wants to bless Christians, I have to say this, it does not mean he wants to make us wealthy or prosperous. I have to say that because sometimes we kind of throw the word bless around like that. Like, wow, it's a nice new car. Like, I'm, I know God really blessed us. And nothing wrong with saying that. But that can lead us to thinking that God's blessing is materialistically related. And that's not the blessing we're talking about here. We're talking about something he's done within the human soul, and he's working by bringing humans together to bring something to the rest of the world that will bring harmony and fulfillment of living and his salvation to the ends of the earth and his presence down when he returns. So um, so here's, here's the quick story, right? Abraham is called, um, I want to bless you, and then I want to use you to bless all the families of the earth. All the families of the earth. Every tongue, tribe, and nation. So Abraham has his kids, and we're going to see them as we go through Genesis. His kids end up with uh, Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. These 12 tribes of Israel grow up and become a nation. This nation splits. Ten of them get lost and wiped out by the Assyrians. A couple of them hang around in Jerusalem. And they endure uh, an exportation to Babylon. They come back. And by the time of Jesus, the Romans are ruling over them. And then Jesus comes to them. And most of them reject Jesus. And then the temple gets destroyed in 70 AD. And the church movement begins to go outward. And so the blessing is moved now from a Jew, just a Jewish thing to now Gentiles included. The nations of the earth are being blessed through the Jewish Abraham, and so the gospel in the book of Acts starts to go to the ends of the earth, and the blessing begins to reach all of the peoples. And it's still going. Notice how Acts doesn't end. The book of Acts ends with a huge cliffhanger. Paul's in prison, and I'm not going to tell you what happens to him. Ah! 
Because the point is, we are chapters 29 and 5200 later of Acts. We are the continuing chapters. We are continuing to bring the Abrahamic blessing to all the families of the earth. And so God wants to bless you, and I want you to be blessed, and I pray that we would be abundantly and tremendously blessed in God, so that we can then go bless the nations and the community and the neighborhoods around us. That's why he gives us this great... Gig is the only word in my head, so... Okay, so I gave you the brief story. So let's now hone in on Jesus. The blessing comes with Jesus is one of the descendants of Abraham. So if you guys will, hold your spot if you want and go up to Ephesians chapter 1. This will be worth your time. Ephesians 1. I might have told you this before. We've taught through it already that this is my favorite book in the entire Bible. Ephesians chapter 1. Um, if you're, you're aiming for the New Testament, you're finding Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So, so this is what we see in the first verses of Ephesians. I want to start in verse 3. 1 verse 3. And, and here the theme Paul picks up and what he's saying and what he's picking up on. So, in 1 3 he begins with, Blessed... Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, Paul's talking to a bunch of Gentiles like us, non-Jews. The blessing has been expanding. We see that. He's talking to these people in this Ephesian city, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. He's talking to them, and he's saying, you guys have this blessing in Jesus. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. Now, follow this. Verse 4. He's now going to explain our blessing to us. Number one, it's election, which is a fancy word. Well, I guess in America we do elections all the time. It means you're chosen, you're picked, you're the, you're the one. So it begins with election in verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So, number one, we're blessed because God has chosen us. Now, who did he choose in the Old Testament? He chose Abraham. We just read that. We saw a bunch of pagans building this tower that fails. They're scattering around the world because they can't even understand each other and don't like each other. And in the mess of this, God sees them all swarming like ants. And he says, that one. We don't know why he picks Abraham. He was a pagan. He didn't even believe in Yahweh. He learned to. The Bible tells us that he had to leave his idols behind. Abraham was picked. We don't know why, but he was picked. This is election. This is God's choosing. Now, why is he chosen? Why are we chosen? This is not for us to sit around and go have theological controversy and intense debate about, well, I guess God chooses some people to go to heaven and others he chooses to go to hell. It's not really our say. He just kind of does all this. That's not the point. That misses the discussion. God chooses people to be bearers of salvation, not beneficiaries of salvation. 
He doesn't choose Abraham to say, boom, receive salvation. He chooses Abraham and says, take salvation to the world. That's what election means. That's what our calling is, is he's chosen you. If you are in Christ, you've been chosen to carry blessing to the world. That's your election. That's your mission. Number two is second blessing. It's easy to spot because he says in him. So in Jesus, this is what we're getting. Verse seven, the second one. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. What does that remind you of? Think to the Old Testament. What should that remind you of? Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This redemption in Jesus should remind us about the exodus the redemption of Abraham's people when they were in Israel and God came to deliver them through the blood of the lamb that they put on the, the, the doorposts and they were delivered from Egypt. Why were they delivered from Egypt? Because they were the carriers. They were chosen and elected to be the carriers of salvation to the ends of the world. We have been redeemed for the same purpose. And then verse 11, the third blessing In him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. Are you picking up what Paul is stepping in? Election, Abraham's chosen. Redemption, his people are delivered from Egypt. Now inheritance, in Christ we have inheritance. Why did God choose Abraham? Why did he deliver them from Egypt? He gave them a land. The promised land is their inheritance. Go and inherit this land and there build your nation to bless the world. And here Paul is saying, Christian, you are part of this Abrahamic blessing because you have been elected like them. You've been redeemed like them and you have been given an inheritance like them. This inheritance is slightly different though. In Jesus, you've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I read that fast because I just want to get to this simple point. In him we have a possession, we have an inheritance, and he gave us the Holy Spirit as proof that the inheritance will be there. That, hey, hey, I know, we're we're not quite at this inheritance thing yet, but the Holy Spirit is proof that it's coming. You have the Holy Spirit in you, so you know that you're blessed in Christ. That you're part of this Abrahamic blessed movement to bless the nations of the world. So, what we see in all of this, and maybe it was too painstaking and you already agreed with me, but uh, I wanted to show that We are in on this Abrahamic blessing, and Paul tells us that rather creatively in Ephesians, that you are blessed just like Abraham. So, what is Abraham promised? I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. Um, It's down, let's keep going. So, Genesis 12, verse 4. So, Abraham went... As the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, that's where he previously was. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, later to be named Sarah, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered. 
and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, interesting, right, that we read that Noah cursed Canaan? And here is the man who's blessed going into Canaan. God's turning the curses into blessings through his people. Um, so they go into Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morech. And at the time, the Canaanites were in the land. But then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, this is huge. To your offspring, I will give this land. So part of what Abraham is called to is to be this blessing, but we can't do that. We can't kind of populate the earth unless we have a place to kind of populate it from. And so he gives them a land and this is their inheritance. And Paul says we have an inheritance. So here are the similarities. Abraham was given a land, but he had to step out from where he was by faith to go to the land. We have been given Christ, and we have to leave where we are and by faith press into Christ and to receive his salvation. So what was the land for Abraham is Christ for us. He is our possession. He is our inheritance. And so as we receive him, we are entering into the promised land. And we are therefore called to be a blessing from in him and out from him, through him. Now, because Christianity is around the world, you, I'm not commanding all of us to go. You go to China, you go to Russia, you go to San Bernardino, you go to uh, South America. Like we don't have, we, we are simply called to wherever God has us live, reach your area, reach your school, your workplace, your community, your neighborhood. Wherever God has you and whoever you run into, we are to bring that blessing to people around us. Remember, they live under the same curse you once suffered under, but you've had your turning point, And now you are the one to turn the page in their life. So how do we do this? Like, What are some practical ideas we can have for bringing this blessing that God has given to his people out into a cursed world. How do we bless the cursed earth? I want to humbly offer five ideas that come quite naturally from the word bless itself. It's an acronym. We're using it as B-L-E-S-S. Five ideas for how to bless our people, community. So first, B, build, build. This, this is huge. Have you ever been with somebody who did not build you up? You felt worse for leaving them. Have you ever been in a place that got trashed because of your presence? Or, or, excuse me, I'm excited. Or followed up somebody who trashed a place. And he said, wow, look at this. 
Now, Pastor Mike and I come every Sunday a little bit early to make sure that the facility looks decent for you guys to come into. Because every weekend there's a retreat, sometimes up to 350 people just crammed in this room for the whole weekend. And (laughs) it can look like some bedrooms some of you have parented before. (laughs) It can look like people have been here for a while. And it... And look, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing. They're paying customers, right? They're here to be blessed by our staff. We're not going to like crack a whip on them and say, clean up after yourselves. So like, that's understandable. But when I come in and see it, sometimes like, oh, I don't have the energy for this. I'm not even Pastor Mike's age. So I don't know how he does it. Um, it, it can feel like that. But then there's, there's occasional times when a group leaves this place and I walk in going, I thought we had a retreat this weekend. And, like, the ground's, like, doesn't even need to be vacuumed. The trash is, like, taken out. You're, like, wow. Like, that is what, to me, blessing feels like. Like, I walk in, I'm, like, wow. Whoever was here left this place better than they found it. Now, this is super practical because this can happen anywhere you go. Anywhere. And I get convicted. Well, Maybe this is a little too far. So maybe we'll, uh, well, you can, you know, when you use places that generally get dirty very fast, restrooms, um, it, it, that can be a very hard test. Are you going to be that person? <laughs> like, which person are you going to be? I mean, it's not, um, don't uh, mishear me. Like, it's not a sin to leave a mess somewhere. Sometimes it just, I am, God forgive me and bless whoever's fixing that. Like sometimes that can happen. And I'm talking about lots of other situations. So you get that out of your head. Um, so, this is getting bad. <laughs> pull up, pull up. Um, so yeah, but what, what kind of, like kind of a trail are you leaving? And this isn't just places you go to, but this is people that you meet. Are they built up for meeting you that day? All it sometimes needs to be is a simple compliment. Or it can be just, I sense they're a little down, maybe I'll pray for them. Or remembering a detail they shared with you one time. It says, you can trust me because I remember things and I care. So how are we leaving people in places? So the second law of thermodynamics is known as entropy. And things are supposed to spiral down or get out of control. So leave the world alone and it will get worse and worse. That's the curse. But put a force in that wants to build up and bless. Well, now you reverse that. And that's the idea. We're reversing entropy in people's lives and in places. So if you want to apply this tonight, make sure you leave your seat better than you found it. (laughs) Do a couple extra for heaven points. L. (laughs) So B is build up. Build up places and people wherever you go. Um, L. Listen. Listen. I have learned in the last year, and although I've been told this so many times, I took a counseling course way back in my 20s. Way back. Uh, It feels a long time ago. No, 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 no. Come on, people. Like, young 20s. no, but seriously, it, it does. It feels like a life. It feels like a lot of things have happened. Uh, and the counseling courses always tell you, like, listen to people, listen to people. Like, yeah, 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 of course. We all listen to people. I hear you, teacher. And I, like, like, while you're doing email and taking notes at the same time, not really listening, right? Um, but listen. So they always tell you, listen to people. And then you read the book of Job, and you realize, oh my goodness, 
the best thing Job's friends did for that man in suffering was in the first, uh, the, the second chapter. It said they sat with Job for seven days and said nothing. And if it would have ended there, Job's story would have been much shorter. <laughs> but Job begins to speak and to curse the curse. There it is again. He begins to curse the day of his birth and he begins to blame God for everything that's happened. And in the midst of this, he says, "The man, a man of sorrow. The words of a man in sorrow are like wind. You can't take them seriously. They're just speaking from pain. It doesn't mean that they actually literally believe this, or that you should correct what they say." Mary and Martha said terrible things to Jesus, blaming him for their brother's death. And when he comes to them, and he doesn't say, well, get your theology right. Obviously, it's not my fault. Don't you know I can fix this? Instead, he just says, where is he? It's like he understands the pain they're going through. And Job's friends, man, so Job begins to speak his heart. And rather than listening, say, I totally understand why you feel that way. And just leaving it there and being with him, they start to correct him. They're like, well, Job, let's think about your life. Maybe you sinned in this way. Maybe you didn't confess that. Are you sure? And they, it's for 40 miserable chapters. (laughs) Bless the world and spare that kind of dialogue in your life by listening to people. What was I saying? I'm saying I've learned the value of listening. That people don't always want your advice. Seriously. Advice is not far from vice. Often when people come and have this burden or this complaint or something that they unload on you, they're actually more times than not, they're not asking for advice. But you're like, I'm a Christian. I know the answer. And so we feel compelled to give advice. We always want to be the hero in someone's narrative. But actually, they just want to be understood. So think about this. You have, uh, you just recently got in a car accident. Terrible thing. You know, the, assuming you're, you're safe and healthy, the worst part of car accidents is all the insurance and all the follow-up and the, the, the fixing your car, right? All oh, that's just the worst. So it's just never a good event when this happens. You're telling someone about it, right? And you're just like, you're just at this place where you just want to be heard. And then they say, Oh man, don't worry about it. I just had a car accident last month and they start going in their story. And you're sitting there going, did you just, I, I, all I wanted was somebody to understand what I'm feeling right now. And instead, what we often do is we think we're good listeners because we heard them, but we're actually not listening to what they want. We're, we're using their words as a springboard for what we want to say to talk about ourselves. And as soon as you start to think about that, you realize, oh my goodness, I use every conversation as a springboard to talk about myself. But true listening is listening, not just the person's words, but why are they telling me this and what do they want from it? Like, what do they want from me as they tell me this? And I found that people usually don't want your advice unless they ask you for your advice. So I'm going through this, and then he's like, oh, this is what you should do. This is what worked for us. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm wanting right now. Thank you. Have you ever had that where you're like talking about how you have allergies? This just happens to me all the time. You're talking about how you have allergies and like how they're really slamming you right now. And nine out of ten times, what I get every time is, well, do you take Claritin or do you do this? I'm like, oh, I'm just not even going to bring it up anymore. Because no, that's not why I'm telling you I have allergies. Help me. I don't know what to do. I'm telling you because I want you to understand that I don't feel good. Right? That's listening. So... Here's an, another acronym within our acronym. <laughs> Here's how to listen is RASA. It's a very simple four-step act of listening. RASA, um, R means receive. You've got to receive the person. 
And sometimes that's the first battle. Because they're coming like, oh, no. I know I'm going to be here for an hour. <laughs> and you haven't received them. So right away, you've got the wallet. But you have to be willing to receive the person that's coming to you. So once you decide, okay, I'm going to be present and I'm going to listen to them. You've received them. Second, A, is to acknowledge. You have to acknowledge that you hear them. Sometimes <laughs> you just talk to someone like they're not even moving. And you're like, are you there? If this is real basic, and most of us do this, but you have to do it. You have to acknowledge that you've heard them with either a nod or a, oh, I see. You just, you, you, you just show them your tracking. S is to summarize. This is where listening gets harder. Summarize what you've heard. Show them you heard what they said. Not in this sort of way. I'm depressed. I see you're depressed. I want to jump out of the building. You want to jump out of the building. I'm going to do it. You're going to do it. <laughs> Ouch. That's <laughs> that's not summarizing. That's parroting. Summarizing is more like someone comes in and says, I can't believe you left that ignored. You should have had that done. And then you say, rather than getting defensive, that's not listening. It's talking about yourself. You say, I hear that you're upset with my negligence. <laughs> right? You're showing them, I get what you're upset with. That's when you're showing that you're hearing them. So, Rasa, uh, receive, acknowledge, summarize, A, the last A, ask. Ask. So you follow up with their saying with a question. That's how, it, notice it's not springboard into your thing. That would be RAS. This is Rasa. <laughs> this is, so you ask them a question. Like, I want to hear more about what you said on that. Or how do you feel when people do that to you? You know, you just ask a question to get more out of them. Because often people don't give you everything because they want to make sure that you care. And then you, when you ask, you care. That's how you listen. And I, if we were better at listening to people, they would feel more blessed. The world would be more blessed if we listened to each other. Foreign politics, foreign policies, warring tribes, you know... We're not listening to each other. Just look at our own Republicans and Democrats. But in our relationships, it's a good start. B, L, build, listen, E, encourage. Mark Twain said, I can live two months on a good compliment. That is true. You know that. I can live two months on a good compliment, and you could die in a minute on one criticism. We need more encouragement and there are a few people whom I have recognized, they are just good at encouraging. I mean, those are people I like to talk to. Those are people I like to go to when I'm not feeling that great. Um, they're like a breath to your soul. The soul can get suffocated. And sometimes it just needs to breathe. It's just here, you're doing a good job. To encourage, really what all it is, is that you're putting strength into someone. You're putting courage and courage in courage. You're giving that courage into them. And we all need that because we all have insecurities. So when we see people doing a good job, when we see something we admire in others, why do we tuck that away? Why don't we just tell them? I suspect because maybe we're subtly envious when we see people that are good at things and we're like, mm, why are they more blessed than me? But maybe we should be more aimed at encouraging. So encouraging is not only in your words, but sometimes it could just be a card. You know, you may never really get to talk to somebody. You can drop them a little note, thanks, or I admire this about you. Like, why do we always save that for the special occasions? Then when people die, you think of how much you wish you had done that. Let's just do it. 
Bless. So build, listen, encourage, S, surprise. <laughs> surprise. I love this concept. Now, some of us don't like surprises because they embarrass us. But these, these are, and sometimes surprises are like, you're on the wrong end of a surprise. It's like a prank. Ha, 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 gotcha. Uh, but this is like a blessing prank. So that rather than saying, you got pranked or you got punked, you say, you got blessed. Um, but a blessing should come as a surprise because we live in a world that's sort of selfish and sort of driven around everybody's individual needs. And we kind of learn to just kind of, uh, navigate so that we don't upset people and kind of get to what we need to do and to have something randomly interfere in a way that makes us smile in a way that causes us to see the goodness in another human or in God. That's a good surprise and blessings to be surprised in a way that makes you smile is a tremendous blessing. Some of you are thinking of a time that something surprised you pleasantly and that feeling is blessing. You felt blessed you got that note, not because it was your birthday, but because you don't even know why. It was just like you were not expecting some great cur- like note of encouragement on your day. Like, whoa, surprise. Um, what if we learned each other's, well, if you like work with people or why are you hanging out with people? You learned their preferences in coffee and you just got them at Starbucks. Not, not this. Hey, I want to get you something at Starbucks. What do you like? That's not really a surprise. It's just like, oh, cool. Thank you. Um, but to just show up with their favorite. How did you remember that? That's a blessing. Because this person took the time to learn me and to surprise me when I wasn't expecting it. Like, here it is. Like, we can surprise people in good ways. So think of like the way you would booby trap a place to protect it. What if we booby trapped our lives with blessing? And ways to make people feel appreciated and shocked in a good way. Now, this does require a little bit of study. We have to know people because you don't want to be like the jack in the box and just spring up obnoxiously in people's faces. We have to know what they like. (laughs) So we have to know their desires, their hopes, their fears, the things they need, the things they lack, and meet those because that is how people are pleasantly surprised. Build, listen, encourage, surprise, and finally share. Share. This is simple things like hospitality, generosity. Share your time, your money, your stuff, or uh, simply a story. So here's what I've, um, I, I, maybe I'm just different, but I've begun to really appreciate when people take the time to share something with me. And not just like, you want to try my ice cream? But share a story of what happened to them. Like, why, why are you telling me this? Like that just, it always feels like you're cared about if somebody, because what it says is I'm including you in my life. I want to share my life with you. It says, I see you. I notice you. You're a person of worth. You have value. That's why I'm taking the time to share something of my life with you. You know, you share a table with people at dinner. There's so many things you can share, but the point is that we're getting people into our lives and saying, because you count, you matter. Rather than the good old American individualism of just, you know, you get only so close. When we share, we bless people, and we want to learn to be more giving and more open and to share all sorts of things. But we got to get the Christians must be a community 
so that people who live in the curse of isolation and loneliness and depression, never feeling good enough or worthy enough, can say, but that's a place where I think I could be a brother or sister. I could belong. I could share life with. That is what the early church used to attract pagans into a minority persecuted group. So, how can we carry on? How can we go with Abraham and with Jesus to the ends of the earth? How can we go to our communities, our neighborhoods, and as he said, bless, we're blessed so that we can bless. How can we do that? Let's build up people we meet, places we go. Let's listen to one another, receiving, acknowledging, summarizing, asking. Let's encourage. Let's, let's, let's see what we find good in each other and esteem them and value them and build them up in that way. Let's surprise each other with great gifts, with great things that just make people smile and laugh and say, wow, I'm cared about. Let's share. Let's share our stuff, our lives, our, our stories. That's how we can bless the people around us. So, as the worship team comes up, and we're going to end tonight in communion, this is what you need to do, can do. I'm inviting you. I'm giving you an opportunity. To pick three people a week to bless in one of those ways. Three people a week. That's a pretty good assignment, but let me live, raise the bar one more. At least one of them can't be a Christian. <laughs> That's going to be hard <laughs> for a lot of us, isn't it? But let's go and let's just say, you know what? We've received, so let's go give. And that's what God has called us to do. So I'm wondering what will come out of this if we choose to bless three people a week, one whom is not a believer. And I would like to hear some of your stories.